You're listening to the Hollyview Podcast, a message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 1030 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. And now, here's this week's message on the Hollyview Podcast. We're going to start today's message with a reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 24, verses 16 through 17. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 21. Now David said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And now we join today's message as Pastor Joel talks about how feuds have littered human history. And these feuds just keep on going. Uh, there's a beavers and ducks feud. I don't know if you know that's going. And, and when is that feud ever going to stop? Because when the ducks win, then they win again and they win again and they win. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> then, the, then the beavers are like, man, next year, next year, next year right? Uh, and, then, and then when the, the beavers win, the ducks are like, well, next year, that's, that's our year. We're going to get it. The feud that just never ends. Uh, Democrats and Republicans. Okay, I might have just leave that. But it goes back and... <laughs> It goes back and forth. The Democrats win, and then the nation swings, and the Republicans win, and the nation swings, and it's this feud that goes uh, on and on. Uh, the 49ers and the Seahawks, or I could go on and on. Uh, let me just point out one that maybe you're familiar with, but I think it's one of the most iconic feuds in American history, uh, the Hatfields and McCoys. Do you know that? So growing up in the South, I heard a lot about it, but you also might have heard about it in, in movies or literature, uh, the Hatfields and McCoys. Uh, there were these two families. They lived on either side of, uh, they called it the Big Sandy River. Uh, the Hatfields lived in West Virginia, and the McCoys lived in Kentucky. Now, there's lots of stories and lots of myths of, of how these families got there and the Civil War and all that stuff. I, I just want to bring you to the point where most people have consensus uh, of why that feud started. Uh, so, the the McCoys were visiting the, the Hatfields because they were friends. And as they were visiting, they looked out in their hog pen, and one of the McCoys said, hey, that looks like our, our like brand on that hog. I think that's our hog. And of course, the Hatfields go, no, we didn't steal your hog. And, and they, they got this big rivalry. So they ended up taking it all the way to court. Now, the judge of the court in that time, this was 1878, the judge of the court at that time was a Baptist minister. Uh, his name was Anselin Hatfield or something Hatfield. He was a Hatfield himself, and he was the judge, a good Baptist minister judge over this. Well, they had court, they had witnesses come, and there was a key witness that unlocked the whole thing. Uh, and so the judge uh, ruled, in, Hatfields are innocent, they did not steal that, that hog from the McCoys, but the McCoys were convinced that they had stolen their, their hog and were really out to get that one witness uh, that ended up um, 
turning the whole trial over. So, so it wasn't too much longer later, a few days later after the trial, uh, that that key witness actually got killed. Uh, they, they found him shot and, and dead. And that started the feud. So a feud over a hog. Uh, whose hog was this? And, and so for the next 30 years, there was beatings and killings and stabbings, and 13 family members from the Hatfields and McCoys uh, end up dying because of uh, a hog. And, and you wonder, how, how is something like that, how does it ever end? How does it uh, stop? When, when people uh, are hurt, uh, there's, a, there's a saying even, hurting people hurt people, or hurt people hurt people. When, when you're hurt, your, your very instinct is that you want to get back at that person. They, someone offends you, says something bad about you, what's your instinct? I want to say something bad right to them. Uh, my brother hits me a little bit on the hand. What do I do? I punch him in the face, right? And then what does he do? He punches me back, and then all of a sudden you're on the ground fighting. And why? Because we repay evil with evil. I think that's just in uh, our, our nature. As adults, we're not even much better, are we? So-and-so says something. A brother says something that you don't like. So you, you return in spite and, and get him back a little dig and maybe talk to his friends a little bit about it. And, and the next thing you know, they're not inviting you to, to Thanksgiving or, or Christmas. And, and so because they're not doing that, you're not sending them a card. And the next thing you know, 30 years later, and you haven't talked to them. It's just repaying evil with evil. And, and how is it going to end? How is it going to stop? How can you really be freed from that, that revenge, that anger that's in all of us? How do you stop repaying evil for evil? Now, we look at the Hatfields and McCoys, and we say, well, that's a bunch of, like, backwoods people that are just, you know, foolish. But I think if we were honest with ourselves, well, there's a little bit of Hatfield and McCoy in all of us, isn't there? Uh, if you were brave enough to admit it, you, you'd have to admit, yeah, I need help with this. And that's what brings us to our text today. We're going to see two, uh, two stories of these feuds or these, these conflicts that are happening. And, and each of them, you'll see, are, are pointing to how these things can be resolved. And it can only be resolved with a mediator, someone who comes in between two sides. So we're going to, we're going to look at two stories which seem vastly different, but I'm telling you there's one point uh, here. We'll see the story of, of David and his men when they're in the cave uh, and junior hires are going to love this story today because uh, Saul's in the cave doing some business in there, and you'll, we'll, we'll get to that story and, uh, and what happens in there. And then the, next, the very next story we're going to see is about David, uh, who has protected this guy's flock, and he comes and wants some sheep back, and he doesn't give them back uh, to her. He doesn't give him anything back. Um, and so David and how he's going to act with this man named Nabal, who means fool, and his wife uh, Abigail in chapter 25. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see uh, that all the time, broken people, in order to stop this uh, cycle of evil and repaying evil for evil, we need a mediator, someone to save us from the revenge that we get caught in, uh, someone to restore justice and to get us out of that, that crazy loop. So let's look in our Bibles, 1 Samuel 24. It's on page 231 in your pew Bible. 1 Samuel 24. Now, I'm reading from the ESV, uh, just so you know, starting in verse 1. 
When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rock. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, Let me paint the picture of what's happening here. Uh, David and his men, they're on the run from Saul and this huge army, 3,000 men. They're hiding in a cave. They must have heard 3,000 men uh, coming. And there's Saul on his way and all of a sudden... You could see it's the international dance, right? I, I got to go to the bathroom. But he's the king, right? So he's just not going to go. He's just not going to go out and go to the bathroom in front of everyone. What a humiliating thing for a king to do, right? He wouldn't just like pee next to a tree or, or on a wall or something. This is the king. So he, you can imagine the scene. 3,000 men and he goes, uh, let's stop here, everyone. Uh, what I want you to do, I want you to sit up this perimeter around this cave. I'm going to go in there for a little bit, uh, and I'll be back in a little bit. Um, and so uh, the text actually says, when it says relieved himself, our English translations have really like toned things down in this. Uh, it, it's actually he, mean, he covered his feet. So if you're thinking of relieving and covering your feet, you can kind of imagine what he's, what he's doing in this, in this cave. So can you pick, not picture it? I don't know how to picture it. He's in the cave. He's on his throne. Uh, I was waiting for that one. Oh, uh, and as he comes in, as this one solo figure comes in, you can hear David and his men talking. Someone's coming in. Shh, quiet down. Wait. That's like, I think that's Saul. I think that's Saul. Saul's coming right in here. David, David, you hear, oh, what's he doing? Oh, this is, this is like the irony. Can you imagine 600 men in the cave, like trying not to laugh, going, this is so funny. It's funny, right? And they're like, oh, man, uh, God has given us your enemy in a most humiliating way right to you. David, go get him, buddy. This is all yours. This is the day you've been waiting for. So David... He actually picks up a sword and creeps up right to Saul. But instead of putting the sword right in his back and and killing him, he ends up cutting off just a corner of the robe. He must have done it so stealthily that Saul gets up from his business and goes back out to triumphantly lead his army. When all of a sudden, uh, David pops his head out after Saul's gone his way, pops his head out and says, hey, Saul. I'm not trying to kill you. Look, I've even got part of your robe right, right here. I mean, I could have killed you, 
if I wanted to, but I didn't. And at the apparent goodness of Saul, if you read the rest of the chapter, it seems, or apparent goodness of David, it seems that Saul has repented and gone, oh, you're greater than me. Uh, this is, it should be over. But, but if you just keep reading in Samuel, you'll see that no, nothing has changed. Saul keeps attacking uh, David. This feud is just keeps going on and on. And then there's this little interesting piece that we read, is that when David cut the, the corner of the robe off, he said David was struck to his heart. Why? I mean, it seems like David could have killed him and he didn't, so it's like David's doing a really good thing. He's being generous and, and kind to him, but David is struck to the heart. So here's what I think is, is going on here. In the story of 1 Samuel, if you've been with us, the last time you saw a robe cut or ripped was in 1 Samuel 15. Uh, and that's where Saul grabs Samuel's robe and wants, you gotta, you got to stay here with me. And Samuel turns to leave and his robe is ripped. And Samuel tells uh, Saul at that point, this, this torn robe is a picture of God tearing the kingdom from you. That in your disobedience and sin, God is ripping the kingdom away from you. And so I wonder, if of all the things that David could have done to Saul in that cave, when he ripped that corner of his robe off, uh, if he was like, I could kill you, but God's, God's got it in for you anyway. So he's going to tear the, the kingdom away from you. If it was some kind of uh, almost like superiority of David, I, I could have killed you, but instead I'll... I'll just shame you. Was he saying, I have the upper hand here, Saul? Uh, last week, we had soccer practice. Um, I was coaching Caleb, my son's team, and a couple of the kids, it's all fenced in at Graydon Park, and a couple of the kids like to climb the fence and jump over because it's just fun and easier, and they always go the highest, the highest fence. Well, one of them got their uh, shorts snagged on it, and so as he jumped over, it ripped his whole shorts so that his, his, his short leg, his legs were like, pant was like that short uh, after it. And he sees it and goes and grabs his pants like that's going to do anything. But it's embarrassing, right? And then all the other kids are like, ha ha, you ripped your shorts, or at least for a little bit, right? Uh, you have, think about this now. King Saul in his stately uh, robe and appearance goes out from the cave, gets with all of his men, and you wonder if the men are even like, hey, Part of his robe's missing. <laughs> like he ripped his robe. And then you have David coming out going, look at here, I got part of you. And wondering, I can just picture it like, like that little guy Cruz grabbing the back of his thing. Because, man, what, what were you doing in there, Saul? That he had time to cut your robe. Uh, Saul, you look silly. Like, your clothes are all ripped, Saul. But I think that's uh, the initial part of what David could have done. I didn't kill you, but I could have shamed you. But then that struck him to the heart, and he repented. So then when he comes out of the cave, he doesn't shame Saul. He's actually a broken man, and he falls down on his face and, and gives him respect. He feels remorseful. He's repentant. Not because Saul deserved it, but because he recognized this is the, this is the man that God has put in this position for right now. How, how dare I uh, feel superior to him? How, how dare I? It would even shame him. But the, the question still remains, how would this feud ever end then? I cut off part of your thing. Shame you a little bit, but not too much. 
then how does Saul supposed to respond to that? I think we have a, a tip of uh, the answer in verse 15. So 1 Samuel 24 and verse 15. David says, May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. I think David realizes this feud is never going to end unless the Lord brings justice and repays. To stop the cycle of sin and brokenness, to bring justice, David needs a mediator. Someone to come in between him and Saul. Two broken people or the feud will never end. So from that point, the end of, end of 24, Saul, Saul goes back uh, to his home, to his palace, and, and David's still hiding out in the, in the wilderness. He goes back to the, the stronghold. David had returned, in a sense, good for, for evil. Uh, but in this next story, it seems that David gets tired of doing that. Like, I did it here in kind of a way, but this next story, you're going to see, you're going to see David just get tired of, of returning good for evil. And, and you might feel that way too. So maybe you'll relate with this story a little bit. If you look in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 25, uh, just reading verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house of Ramah. And Samuel died, and that's all we get about it. Uh, This man who was so important, who the whole uh, book is named after, we get a eulogy of uh, a sentence. And and just like that, you're going to see the story just keeps going on and on. Uh, So what what an interesting spot to put that one verse in in the middle of these two uh, stories. And I think the author had in mind to put it in there uh, that it would stop each one of us and think, how am I living my life? Uh, There's a finality to it all. Am I going to spend the next 30 years chasing after revenge and getting even, or or am I going to find some other way out of this? Am I going to find a way of forgiveness and and redemption and, and forgiveness and freedom from vengeance? And it's also a reminder, I think, for all of us the the brevity of life. We're all going there. Uh, being a human, 100% of the time we die. Uh, so how are we living now? I think the author wants us to pause and at least think about that. And then just like that, he's, let's just continue with our story. This is the second part of verse 1 here. It says, Then David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, And there was a man in Maon, whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. You know, he was a Calebite. Which we're all like, oh yeah, Verse 4, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, "Uh, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we uh, we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time that they were in Car- uh, Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. 
Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. Hey, it's feasting. We've kind of protected you. We're just asking for a little. Let's join in the festivals as well. Verse 9. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the, will, in, in the name of David, and then waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who's David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to, to men who come from I don't even know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. It's go time. It's time for revenge. It's time to get even. Grab your swords. He doesn't want to give anything to us. We'll take it. You know, I was nice and kind to this guy uh, for a long time. I waited patiently, and now I send ten young men, and he shames them. He shames me in front of them. They're, they're left standing there like beggars and, and fools. While he is off celebrating and partying, See, he has repaid David evil for the good that he had, has done him. And now David, how's he going to respond to that evil that's been paid to him? Evil. Evil for evil. Kill them all. Like two stubborn trains on the same track heading to each other, this is not going to end well. But Nabal's wife, Abigail, she, she hears about all this going on. And, and so she's in her right mind and goes, this is going to end really bad for me, too, for, for our whole house. Uh, and so she gets a bunch of stuff together and heads out to meet David while her husband is partying and drinking. And as David is on the way, he's talking to himself. He's getting himself ready for, for this war, this slaughter of Nabal and his family. Uh, and, and he's convincing himself, the self-talk. Look, look in verse 21. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. He's returned me evil for good. I was being good and he gave me evil. So verse 22. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. He says, God do so. God bring justice. And I'm not going to wait on him. I'm going to go. And I'm going to take justice into my hands. And I'm going to kill them all. God do so. Now I'm going to do so. And then there's this little piece in there that uh, I think he must have had a junior hire at home when he was writing this because it's, it, it's, uh, it connects back to the previous one, and it's, it's just interesting. Uh, David says, he's going to kill all the males. Do you see that in verse 22? If by morning I do not leave as, as one male there. Now, this is a very interesting phrase. So now all of our translations, except for the King James Version, if you have the King James uh, Version, you'll see that. 
uh, all the males. It's actually a participle. So if you're a teacher, do you know what a participle is? Oh, man, that's back in the day, right? Uh, a participle is a verbal noun. So you are the ones who are sitting. So it's the noun, the ones sitting, uh, but it's a, it's a verbal noun. So it's they're doing something, but it's the noun of that. This male here, they, they translate it as a noun, but it's actually a participle. Uh, and in King James Version, it's any that pee against the wall. <laughs> Except it actually uses an other word that I don't really want to say up front because it's, I'm like, whoa, that's a little rough. But it says, so instead of male, it says anyone that pees against the wall. That's a unique phrase, huh? Anyone that peeing against the wall. Well, who pees against the wall? Well, males pee against the wall, so that's why we translate it as male. But I think something else is going on here that the author is tipping his, his hat to. I think David gets to the point, and he says, look, I was in the cave. I've been hiding from this guy, and God's ordained me as king. I could kill him if I wanted to, but I didn't. I was good, and I'm still out in this wilderness. I'm protecting people that have all this stuff, and I have nothing. And I come and I ask for a little bit and they say, no, I'm done. I'm done repaying good for evil. I'm going to repay evil for evil. So if you pee against the wall, you're dead. I'm tired of stepping in the messes of other people is basically what he's saying. I, I, I was there when David, uh, when Saul just made his mess. He relieved himself in front of us. I mean, how disgusting is that? And yet I did nothing. I was just patient. And now here this guy is. He, he's relieving himself all over us, and he doesn't even want anything. They're all dead. I'm going to kill them all. And I'm confident that David would have destroyed everything and everyone if it weren't for a righteous mediator. Someone in that moment of danger that stepped in as a substitute for the life of a wicked man. Look, this is probably one of my favorite sections, especially because I have a daughter named Abigail. Uh, sections in the Bible. Look in verse 23. This beautiful act of a righteous mediator uh, that'll end up stopping the feud. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord... As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because of, the, because of the Lord has restrained you from the blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be giving to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of my servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. The, the brokenness of hurting people, hurting people. 
Repaying evil for evil is only stopped when a righteous mediator steps in uh, to be the substitute and to bring justice and to make the world as it should be. To offer forgiveness. Justice is restored. Wrongs are, are made right. The world is as it should be. Well, David, David leaves. And Abigail goes back to her husband in the rest of the chapter, and he's drunk out of his mind, so she doesn't even say anything. She waits till the next morning and tells him of the story. Hey, look, this is what I did, and salvation has come to you and your household today. No response from Nabal. Ten days later, God strikes Nabal, and he dies. David hears about it and says, I almost killed him and the whole family, and I would have been... Uh, who knows if the kingdom would have been torn from me because of my vengeance and my revenge. And yet I've been spared this day by this lady named Abigail. And so he takes and he calls for Abigail to be uh, his wife. And we're going to stop our story there for now. Uh, and we'll, we'll pick up next week with the, the continuing saga of David and, and Saul. Uh, but these stories, uh, they, they might sound familiar from Sunday school, but they're just stories familiar in life. When we're hurt and wronged, or when we ourselves have hurt or wronged someone else, hurt people hurt people. And on and on the world goes. And it seems that the only way that this will ever break free of the slavery of revenge, of anger, of this bitterness inside, is when a righteous, just, a righteous, just mediator steps in, gives their life for someone, and repays, brings justice to the world. On our own, we're left to manipulate and shame and hurt. It's only when we receive the gift of peace from Jesus that we can actually put an end to the cycle of that evil for evil. Like you can almost summarize the story uh, of David and Nabal like this. When we were in ignorant foolishness, thinking that all was well, we're just partying it up. We're all for us. And the moment of judgment and destruction is coming closer and closer. The Lord sends his righteous son to lay down his life as a substitute for you. Uh, offering his life for your life. And freedom and forgiveness and a stop to the cycle of broken humanity. Repaying evil for evil. Paul was reflecting on this in Ephesians as well, I think. Ephesians 2 and verse 14. He says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby Killing the hostility. Um, just a few years ago, Saturday, June 14th, 2003, it actually marked the end to the Hatfield and McCoy feud. Over 100 years later. It was broadcast on the Saturday early show where uh, Rio Hatfield and Bo McCoy, they drafted a treaty that proclaims the, the, the families, this is what it says, do hereby and formally declare an official end to the all hostilities implied, inferred, and real between the families now and forevermore. 
And just like that, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection uh, it made the same kind of treaty that Jesus says, it's done. You don't have to repay evil for evil. I've taken all that evil on myself. And so when someone offends you, Jesus says, I've taken it. You don't have to repay evil for evil. Follow after me. I'll bring justice. Repay good all your days and wait on me. So I don't know if there's, there's somebody that maybe uh, you need to forgive or that you have uh, tensions with or this, this feud, uh, a neighbor, uh, a family member. Uh, maybe it's a friend that you haven't talked to in years and you've tried over and over and, and finally you've just had enough. They've paid me too much evil for good. I'm done. Well, I think the Lord's not done yet. I think he still wants to work in each of our hearts to release us from that anger and that bitterness and that rage that we have as humans so that we don't end up hurting people, hurting people. That we can receive the healing and forgiveness of Jesus. So I'm going to pray and then we'll have the worship team come back up. But I would just encourage you... Uh, if the Lord's put someone on your heart that you know, like, man, I really need to, uh, it's not you changing, it's you, can I take this to the Lord, and would he change me in relationship to that person? And so maybe over the next few minutes, maybe that person's not even here, and you don't, maybe not even talk to them, but maybe just ask through the worship time, through prayer, Lord, would you, would you be changing my heart towards this person? Would you be releasing that sword that I have to shame them or to hurt them or harm them? Would you allow all of that to be uh, taken on you as the righteous mediator? Let's pray. Lord, I think even over this last year or two, and the words have come out so, um, so judgmental and bitter, and Lord, we, it's in all of us to want to rage back, to strap up our swords and to get them. Or even in our own uh, righteousness to uh, look superior to them. Well, I could have shamed them, but I didn't. Or, or I could have really hurt them, but I, I didn't. And, and so aren't I so, aren't I so great? And, and the feud just keeps continuing, and we wonder why. Lord, we need your son, Jesus. The righteous mediator who comes uh, between you and us and says, I've paid it all. I've taken all the revenge and anger and I've nailed it to the cross. Would you just turn to me? And so I pray that we would live uh, abundant lives, free from anger and rage and revenge. That you'd be working in all of our hearts to be people of reconciliation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Hollyview Podcast. Please join us for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast.